Greetings, my good people. How are you? What is happening? What's going on? How are we feeling? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well as we're now entering the fourth quarter of 2019. That's right. So just to put it in a little perspective here, in three months, it will be 2020. Not just a new year, but a new decade. So whatever it is that we need to accomplish, achieve between now and the end of the year, don't put it off till next week, next month, after the holidays. That's not going to cut it. Whatever it is that you're doing, make sure you map it out now, plan it, execute it for your mind, body, soul, spirit, become 1% better each and every day because we all know tomorrow is never promised. So act now, don't wait for later. And one thing I can promise you though is that it's going to be a fast-paced, entertaining podcast here as I deliver everything that's happening in the sports universe on the latest edition of the J Reels podcast. This is your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. I welcome you with open arms. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this content, and I hope you come back for many, many more in the weeks and months to come. And for those who have been banging with me from episode one to now 93, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, September the 30th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Here's what I have on tap for you. NBA Media Day was on Friday, and Kyrie Irving had some things to say about his former team and his teammates up in Boston. And as everybody knows, I'm a huge Celtic fan, so you know I have to throw in my two cents with what he had to say the other day as NBA Media Day. All the leagues are pretty much in training camp as we get ready for another season three weeks from tomorrow. And speaking of seasons beginning, the NHL will drop their puck on Wednesday where we have lots going on, lots of different storylines that I want to get to, as well as what's happening here with the locals, the Rangers, Devils, and Islanders. And of course, I'll give you a Stanley Cup prediction. NFL Week 4, topsy-turvy games, always unpredictable. Whether what happened in Baltimore yesterday with the Browns, or even out in LA with the Rams and Buccaneers, so I'll touch on that as well later on the podcast. But what's going to kick off, not only this show, but October, one of the best sports months of the year, is the Hunt for Red October. And that will take place starting tomorrow night in the nation's capital as the NL wildcard will start us off as to who will win the World Series and be crowned the champion at the end of this month or really next month as it's still September. As the Brewers and Nationals will start us off tomorrow night down in D.C. in Nationals Park. And then Wednesday night we'll be out in Oakland between the Athletics hosting the Tampa Bay Rays. And we're going to start here with these wild card games, as you have a very interesting storyline with these two teams, the Brewers, who at one point, I believe up until the middle of last week, were 17-2 and in their games throughout the month of September that put them in this position to be the second wild card spot. We know about the Cubs and how they just fell flat on their faces to the point where Joe Madden is out as manager of the Cubs. Former backup catcher David Ross is throwing his hat in the ring to see if he could possibly be a managerial candidate or a potential replacement for a one Joe Madden. But the Brewers, who had this great run without their reigning, and chances are will be one of the front runners for MVP in the National League in Kristen Yelich. What they did with a pitching staff that they certainly have put together with scotch tape and bubblegum, We know their bullpen is solid, but certainly not as good as it was last year when they made a very good postseason run to a Game 7 in the NLCS before losing to the Dodgers at home. And with the Nationals on the other side, a team that has certainly been snake bit over the years, going back to 2012 when they won a division and they had a 6-0 lead in their building against the St. Louis Cardinals and then spit the bit. Two years later, 
losing to the Giants the way they did in the National League Division Series. Followed that up in 2016 when they lost to the Dodgers at home and just a brutal loss against Clayton Kershaw who had to come in the ninth inning to bail them out. And then the year after that in 2017 losing to the Chicago Cubs where now they're going to host another playoff game. It's a thing. They lost all these postseason games at home. And here they are hosting a playoff game for the now fifth time in a do or die to go on to the next round to face the LA Dodgers. And how I look at it, I thought last week, even with the way the Brewers have been playing, I thought that they were going to run out of gas. And I thought that for all the hard work just to get them to that second wild card spot, whether it would be, of course, in this case, it would be going to be against the Nationals, I thought that they were going to just fall flat on their face. Now, I can't say that because they are in this position. They have played together. They certainly didn't skip a beat with Christian Yelich being on the shelf here for the rest of the year. But with the Nationals and everything, all those ghosts, all those demons, can they be exercised in one game? It's a good start, but they really need to go out and win a postseason series in order for them to really try to take it to the next level. Winning this game will be huge for this organization. And right now, it's the biggest postseason game that the Nationals are going to play. Moving forward, it will pretty much be with house money, depending on the scenario. I mean, it can't be up 2-0 in a series and blow it or 3-1, whatever it may be, but that's for down the road if that does come to pass. Right now, they have to worry about tomorrow night, and they'll have Max Scherzer, obviously one of the best pitchers in baseball, going up against the Brewer offense. As I said, who's had a very torrid month. Up until this week, they stubbed their toe in Colorado. But here are the things that I'm going to look at this game. One, Dave Martinez. Is he going to let Max Scherzer pitch deep into this game? Or is it if he falls into any early inning trouble? Is he going to call the bullpen for one Steven Strasburg who is right now actually going to be part of this mix here tomorrow night as far as being in the bullpen is concerned? They're not looking ahead to the Dodgers just yet. They want to make sure they get this game. So it's pretty much all hands on deck. It was even reported that Patrick Corbin could also be slated to pitch at some point in this game. Which I think is a little bit of a mistake because if you got a guy like Max Scherzer who you know that even if you somehow some way gave up three runs in the first inning, there is no way I would even think to look to that bullpen. Because as we all know, that national bullpen is a disaster. And I get that you're going to get some good performances, or you would think you get some good performances from Steven Strasburg or even Patrick Corbin just to get you to the next round. But to me, I'm looking at Max Scherzer right in the eyes and saying, get us to at least the eighth inning. And I wouldn't even play with that. Now, if you know Scherzer doesn't have it early on, he's given up whatever five or six runs in two and two thirds. Of course, you got to pull him. I'm not trying to say you got to leave him in there. But even if he gives up a three spot, that's your horse. He's got to take you home. No ifs, ands, buts, maybes about it. So if you're Davey Martinez, are you going to have a quick hook? Or are you going to let your bulldog in there to go as long as he can, as far as he can, to try to get you to that bullpen in as less as many outs that you have to record as possible? And on the Brewers' side, it's pretty much the opposite. Brandon Woodruff is your starter. Who knows how long he's going to go. I'm sure he's going to have a very short hook. And then it's going to be patchwork by the bullpen 
to Josh Hader to see if they can move on in a rematch with the Dodgers, but this time in a division series. Let's just get right to it. If this isn't going to be the Nationals' time to win a game because they have the pitching matchup in their favor, and I get that they're going into this postseason winning eight straight, so they're due to lose. If they don't win this game, will they ever win in the postseason? Who knows? That's a story for another day. You would think they won't, but that's the one thing about baseball. They're going to have plenty of opportunities to do so as long as their team is still intact. And as we all know, even with Bryce Harper out the door and everything that they've endured this year, going 19-31 and 31 in their first 50 games to this tremendous stretch to put them in the postseason, to have this moment, unless David Martinez, he's going to get too cute with his pitching staff or pull Max Scherzer at a bad time, which obviously remains to be seen. That's the beauty of October baseball. I'm going to pick the Nationals to win this game tomorrow. I think the Brewers have done everything they could to get to this point. And I think they'll fall short with the Nationals. I expected a close game. I mean, I don't expect this to be a blowout by any stretch. But Scherzer, with all the money he's made and everything he's done in the regular season, and he hasn't had great postseason performances either. But he has to relish this. He has to realize that this is do or die one game, and I got to take this team home. So I'm going to pick the Nationals. As far as the American League, you have Charlie Morton starting against Undecided, which is no surprise there. Now, Sean Manai is a pitcher who's performed well down the stretch. He came back from all those arm troubles that he had a year ago. So you wonder if he's going to be a starter or if they're going to go bullpen by committee. And their bullpen is just as strong this year as it was last year. I'm glad that the game is in Oakland. If the game was in Tampa, it would be that much more tougher to watch. And not to say Oakland is a palace when it comes to watching a baseball game, but at least the fans will be into it. They expect 45000 for this game tomorrow. And Oakland, who surprised me last year, and I got to say surprised me again this year, you would think home fans, not that that should make Tampa out to be a team where they're just going to fold right away. Let's not look at Oakland Coliseum to be Wrigley Field or the old Yankee Stadium or even Fenway Park. But the A's who have had solid years from everybody across the board, Matt Chapman, Marcus Simeon has had a great year. Same for Matt Olson. This is a team that is pretty much nondescript and I bet you can't even name five Oakland A's, let alone five Tampa Bay Rays for that matter. But these are two teams that have certainly overachieved and have done so well to the point where Cleveland faded down the stretch and certainly couldn't win two out of, you know, they lost two out of three in Chicago against the White Sox. And that's all you need to know about their chances and what they did to pretty much have the Rays and A's be in this position to go up against the mighty Houston Astros on Friday. And this is a toss-up. Even with the game being out in Oakland, Tampa has been very resourceful also over the last two years. They won 90 games last year and didn't make it to the postseason. And you figure that one of these two games, the road team's going to win. And although I'd like to see Oakland there, but something tells me Tampa, they're going to do just enough. And Charlie Morton, who has pitched well down the stretch, he pitched great against the Yankees there in his last start before this postseason. I could just see Tampa grinding out, gutting out a low-scoring 4-3 type of victory. And the A's, we know the whole money ball theory. We know what they've done over the years, but they cannot seem to win these elimination games and they can't seem to win the big game in the postseason. And they haven't in forever. So that's what I'm basing on. 
And even though with the Washington Nationals, we could talk about everything they've been snake bit that they're going to turn it around tomorrow night. And I'm actually putting my eggs in that basket. You could think the same would be for Oakland, but uh-uh. I think Tampa's going to somehow, some way, find a way to get this game and go on to Houston from there. Now, to kind of predict what's going to happen with the division series on both sides, whether it's Dodgers or Astros, it's too early to tell. You would think that both of those teams were going to advance. I don't know. Uh, again, it's just very tough to predict if they go up against Oakland or if they go up against Tampa, Houston, that is, and the same for the Dodgers, the Brewers, and the Nationals. That's why I'm not going to make a prediction. But the one thing we can discuss are the other two series. And I'll start with the Yankees and Twins. Of course, because we have the flair here in New York. We have a, a lot of the media and a lot of the attention focused in on that series. And, of course, I have a huge pulse on that. We all know the history between the Twins and Yankees over the years. Yankees are 5-0 and in the postseason against them. They're also 86-35 and in the last 16 years against the Twins, regular season. I believe that's not even including the postseason. And they met as early as two years ago in the wildcard game where the Twins jumped out to a 3-0 lead and then they gave it right back. And we saw what happened from there as the Yankees went on to win that game. But this is a different Twin team. And now this Twin team, I might add, hit three home runs yesterday, so they overtook the all-time lead against the Yankees. The Yankees had 306 home runs to finish out 2019. So with the Twins at 307, you got the two biggest slugging home run threats left here in the postseason. And we know that this has been the year of the home run, and I'm going to get to that a little bit later on. But the Twins, I think, are going to be a tough out here. I know the president... Baseball operations, David St. Peter came out and said it's time to slay the dragon, which I like. And I got to give a big up to my guy out in Minnesota, Jason Lollick, who is a huge Swin fan and is waiting for this moment. And he feels the same way. Not out of bravado, not out of, you know, puffing the chest out to say, oh, we're going to beat the big bad Yankees because we have the offense. Uh uh-uh. uh. It's just a matter of time. And as we all know, the Yankees and their starting pitching right now is certainly suspect. Now, Tanaka, you figure he's going to give you that good performance. He always seems to do so in October. James Paxton, who left the game in Texas with a strained buttocks, who's going to be healthy for this game, but who knows how that's going to affect him. He said he could have kept on pitching if it wasn't because of October looming. But you have that to deal with. Luis Severino wasn't sharp in his last start, although he had come back pretty much in a fury ever since being on the IL pretty much the whole year. The Yankees are also facing a couple of other injuries, whether it's Gio Urshela with his mild ankle sprain. He also said he could have played through that if this was a regular season game. Same for Edwin Encarnacion, who's had an oblique. So the Yankees, who have seemed to have been a mass unit the entire season, and it's amazing to think that they actually still won 103 games with the backups upon the backups upon the backups. But now... There are no excuses. The time has come. It's time for the Yankees to put up. And I'm going to get to their fans a little bit later on, which I have a Super Bowl in the pick with them. But as far as the series is concerned, the Yankees, as resourceful as they've been all year, and even with their starting pitching woes, the thing is the Twins, they certainly don't match up well as far as starting pitching is concerned either. Now, Jose Barrios is a guy that is the top of rotation pitcher. 
But do you wonder whether or not he's going to be the guy that's going to lock down and shut down this Yankee offense? Because I don't think Jake Odorizzi is going to do it. I don't think Martin Perez is going to do it. You would think that if they're down 2-1, you're going to see Barrios in a fourth game. And who knows, with the way baseball and analytics are in this day and age, even if the Twins are up two games to one, they may put Barrios in a game four to try to clinch it and not have to come back to Yankee Stadium. As we've seen managers operate like that over the past few years where they want to just go for the kill. But to me, what's going to boil down in this series is two things. Bullpens, as we all know, the Yankees bullpen is far superior than anybody, and that's not a knock on the Twins, but we all know the depth of that Yankee bullpen. And we know Aaron Boone, if Tanaka is going to falter early, or if Paxton, or even if later on down the road, whomever may be still with Severino, we know that he's going to throw in the kitchen sink and then some. Whether it's going to be, as we all know, Chad Green, Tommy Canely, you would think Jay Happ, He's the guy who's the starting pitcher the whole year. He's going to be coming out of the bullpen. Of course, we cannot forget Adam Adovino, Aroldis Chapman. So the Yankees are just as deep as the Atlantic Ocean. And we all know that the Twins, they can't match up against their bullpen. The one thing that could help the Twins over the long run is that the more they see these pitchers come out of the pen, they'll be more familiar. And as we all know, 98 miles an hour doesn't mean anything in this day and age. Because as we know about the baseballs and probably the bats to a certain degree, they're just flying out of the ballpark as if it's nobody's business. So I think the Twins, that could benefit them in the long run if they happen to get into the Yankee bullpen early. Tire them out, get familiar with their deliveries, etc. But I could see this going five games. I could see the Yankees winning the series. In five, I could see it being a slugfest throughout the whole five games. And if you're the Yankees right now, I mean, all the pressure's on them. The Twins, despite 101 victories and 307 home runs, they're playing with house money. And they have a right to puff their chest out and feel as if they could go toe-to-toe against this Yankee team based on the numbers. But as we all know, in October, it's all about two things. It's about pitching, And timely hitting. Two out RBI hits are crucial when it comes to winning a World Series. And if you're the Yankees right now, let me get to them. All the pressure's on you. This is what you waited for. And I don't want to hear about injuries. I don't want to hear that if you lose this series, that, oh, we didn't have this guy, or we didn't have that guy, or we weren't 100%. Uh Uh-uh. I do not want to hear it. Because I will say this. Last year, I was kind on the Yankees. Maybe because it was the fact that they won a wild card game and that they went up against a Boston Red Sox team that was a juggernaut the whole season. And I was on this podcast roughly a year ago, very kind to the Yankees and to the Yankee fan. This year, you can forget about it. Throw that sucker out the window. And I'm not trying to jinx it. I'm certainly not going to go even that much more deeper into it. But I will say this, if the Yankees somehow, someway do not get out of this round, this season won't be a disappointment. It will be a disaster. And anybody that tells you otherwise is a straight up lie. So just keep that in mind, people. I'll get to the fans in a little bit. I just want to talk about the other series between the Cardinals and Braves. To me, 
the Cardinals are very resourceful in their own right. Now, they hadn't made the postseason in a few years. They certainly had a hot stretch to get them to win the division. And to think they actually could have played a one-game playoff if they would have lost yesterday and the Brewers won. But both teams lost, so it didn't matter. This Brave team is coming into the postseason limping with Ronald Acuna Jr., who has that groin issue. Chances are they say he may not even run until Wednesday. And their series starts on Thursday. Freddie Freeman has a bad elbow that's been barking. So they're going into this banged up. But to me, this is primed and ready for the Braves to win the series. And not to knock the Cardinals. As we all know, the Cardinals, Paul Goldschmidt, Yadi Molina, who's a Hall of Famer. And I'll get into that some other time. But the Cardinals, I would think, kind of like the Brewers, who had to have a very hot October, or excuse me, a hot September to get to this point. And the Braves have pretty much been in cruise control the whole year. Now it all depends. If Acuna is going to be compromised and not perform up to his capability, same for Freddie Freeman, then to me the Cardinals have a shot. And the Braves, they're young. They made it to the postseason last year. And as we all know, I'm not a Brave fan, but I could see them winning the series. I'll predict them in four. Cardinals right now, I would think that despite the fact that they won a division and they certainly have guys on that team that could perform in big spots. And the reason why I said Moline in particular is because we've seen it on a big stage with him. Goldschmidt you're going to get to see, even though he had played in the postseason a couple years ago with the Diamondbacks. I could see this being another one of those type of series that not only is it going to be close, but the better team, and not just by the record, but better players are going to be in that brave dugout. But as we all know, all it takes is a bounce of the ball. It's a game of inches. I'm going to stick with the Braves. And I think that they're going to move on and play, obviously, the winner of the Dodgers and the wildcard winner tomorrow night. So those are my predictions so far. Obviously, can't get the other predictions because we don't know who the Dodgers and Astros are going to play right now. So, But I would think they're going to advance. So it looks like you're going to see, or at least I'm going to predict a Yankees-Astros rematch of 2017 and you're going to have Dodgers-Braves as your NLCS in both of the leagues. All right, this is how I'll go as far as the Yankee fans are concerned. Let me, let me start here because then I could uh, segue that to the uh, Mets. You know, the Yankee fan is so wrapped up with the reaction of Saturday night where Pete Alonso broke Aaron Judge's rookie home run record in the regular season. And I understand that they... That may upset maybe just the average baseball fan, how he stood at home plate, watched the ball, and as he's going around the bases pretty much with his arms in the air, and then later on you see him sobbing and just taking in the whole moment. And the thing about the Yankee fan, as they just want to throw ice water on the Mets, their fans, Pete Alonso, all I got to say is just worry about your team. Just worry about your team winning against the Twins and going deep into October. Because like I said before, Anything short of a World Series victory this year, it was a disappointment. And like I said, you lose against the Twins, it's a disaster. So, be it as it may with the baseballs and the home run records, we all know this year's been a joke when it comes to that. How when you look at both the Yankees and Twins combined, hit 613 home runs. 
And you could talk about Judge. Oh, well, two years ago, Aaron Judge didn't have to go through that. But uh, Please, give me a break. Who cares about the baseballs? Pete Alonso can hit a home run out of any ballpark. But when you look at your own team, Gio Urshela hit three home runs in his career before he became a Yankee. What did he do this year? And Brett Gardner, a guy who hit 240 and should have been off the team, but because he had been a Yankee since 2008, longest tenured, even before CeCe, and they bring him back. And what does he do? He hits 25 home runs. Or he hit over 25, whatever it is. Guy, he had 20, I think, a couple years ago. All right, fine. But 25? Give me a break. So before you look at Pete Alonso and, oh, yeah, the balls and the home run record's cheap and who cares and, oh, look at this moment. This is a disgrace. So I worry about your team. That's all I got to say about that. And a lot of these guys are, you know, post-96 fans or, you know, they started rooting for the Yankees in 96. And I got diehard Yankee fans that go way back. My guy, Louis Pizarro. My other guy, John Irving, of course, who I've known forever as well. Louis, I've known going back to the 70s. John, I've known since the 80s. Rafael Torres. There's a bunch of Yankee fans I know that are diehards. Now, I know Louis likes to stick it to me every time and again when he wants to get into the Yankee Met thing, which to me, I don't know why he wastes his time on that. And Lou, you're, you're bigger and better than that. All right. And I know you probably don't listen to the podcast. Well, I'm going to get on your case here just for a quick second because not to make you the poster boy for all Yankee fans. But when I got to read and people tag me on 2019 AL East champs, the New York Yankees, and the Mets aren't going to do that this year, the first thing that comes to my mind is why are we celebrating a division champ? And you're the Yankees. That's like me being a Steeler fan or being a Celtic fan. Oh, we're division champs. Who cares? You know what I say time and time again? It don't mean a thing if you ain't got the ring. And if you do not record the last out of that season, then don't come out and brag. Don't come out, Don't come to me. Don't come to any of my social media accounts to say certain things. And I understand it's trash talk and it's in good nature and it's fun and so on and so forth. But I don't say anything. I don't make any type of statements. And I will say this. There will be one statement if the Yankees do not record that last out of the year. And for those who have followed me all these years, whether you listen to me on Blog Talk Radio or follow any of my social media accounts, you know there's just one thing I say to the Yankee fan if the Yankees do not win a World Series. And if you don't know what that is, then you have to stay tuned because until, and let's hope that it does happen, then I'll come out here and say it. And I cannot wait, and I hope and pray that I say it again for another year, which will be the 10th straight year because the Yankees have not made it to a World Series in this decade. Which I might add, if they do not, it'll be the first time since the 20s, the 1920s, that they have not made it to the World Series or really to, since the teens of last year, of the last century. So the Yankee fans need to pipe down on Pete Alonso and they need to pipe down on this record and they want to call it cheap and all this other stuff. Uh, relax. I, I'm not going to mention any other names, but the people on Twitter are just hot stuff, man. And I get it, they're obnoxious Met fans and they're obnoxious, obnoxious fans in, in any sport, for any team. We get that. But here in this front-running city in New York that I live in, where if the Yankees were in the last place, nobody would even talk about representing the Yankees or would even talk about their team or be in the closet talking about their team. Not that the Yankees will ever get to that point, but please, how many times I bump into people, oh, I'm a Knicks fan, yeah, I'm a closet Knicks fan, or closet Met fan, or closet this. Forget about it. If you're proud of your team, be proud, even if it is dark times. How many times have I come on this podcast and destroyed the Mets? But it doesn't mean I love them any less. 
So the trolling Yankee fan, worry about your team. Don't worry about the Mets. You can laugh at, ah, you guys are going to have a probably a Cy Young winner and a Rookie of the Year, and look what it got you. The, the one last thing before I move on. When I have to see people talk about it's October 4th where Pete Alonso is going to be on Jimmy Fallon or Stephen Colbert, one of those two shows. And then somebody writes, oh, Aaron Judge on October 4th, he's going to get ready to play in the postseason. I mean, can we have something else better to do? Yeah, and if he doesn't make it past October 20th, then his season was a success? So let's not even go there, Yankee fans. I know they're just tweaking and it's fun, but still, it's just a waste of time, waste of breath, waste of energy. Until you hold that trophy at the end of the year, then you can brag all you want. You can talk all you want. You can say, hey, we've got 28 world champions. Or you can say all that. Right. But if the Yankees lose, the last thing I want to hear is, oh, we have 27 titles and you have none. Or you have three or whatever it is. I don't, I don't want to hear that. Nobody cares. No one cares. It all matters who wins this year. Nobody cares about your 27 world championships and your 40 pennants. and all. Nobody. Nobody. To me, that's just bandwagon speak. So... Yankee fans, you need to pipe down. And you want to come at me, come at me on social media, whatever. I don't care. I don't because I'm tired of it. I am. I'm tired of the braggadocio. I'm tired of the entitlement that every World Series should take place in Yankee Stadium every year. Sick of it. And I know this isn't a big brother, little brother thing because I could care less. I could. Because I'm the first one to destroy my team when they're bad. But the Yankee fan, when your team is bad, do you destroy them? You destroy your team? I don't think so. I have accountability. Do you? Anyway, let me digress because I'm going to go in just a weird direction here. So, But that's what you have for the baseball. I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. It should be exciting. And lastly, with the Mets, I'm just going to spend two minutes on this because it's about two things this week. All right, the Alonzo record, which was surprising. He came into the week at 49 home runs, and he ends up getting his 53rd there Saturday night. Uh, and his reaction and everything, I mean, what could you say? The, the the kid is as humble as it comes. And even Aaron Judge, class act throughout the whole time, saying that, hey, he's going to break the record. And, hey, I'll take him out to dinner, but the next one's on him. And it was great. I, I like that. That was good to see. So congratulations to him. And I'm glad I was able to witness that. First rookie in Major League Baseball history to lead the majors in home runs in a regular season. I mean, what more can you say? You have that, and then you have Mickey Calloway. Now, I think he should be gone. No offense to the guy. I get that this team played hard. I get that this team was together. You look at the Dom Smith home run, and I watch some video of them outside of the dugout, and I get it's euphoria. It's the last game, but everybody seemed to be on the same page. Everybody was together. Everybody was pulling for one another, and that's, that's part of a team. Is that enough for Mickey to come back? I think it's going to be. But as I said last week on the podcast, he has literally the first 40 games of next year to prove us all wrong. And as we all know, Mickey has made some boneheaded moves throughout his first two years. And you'd think he would have improved a little bit this year, and he hasn't. Now, we understand the bullpen situation. That's a disaster. And we're going to talk about the future of the Mets down the road. We're not going to talk about that today. We're just going to kind of recap this week and so I can move on to the NFL. But to me, it's going to be fascinating to see whether or not Mickey Calloway is going to be a part of this team. Remember, Brody did not hire this guy. We understand now you got Joe Madden out there. You also have Joe Girardi out there. The sad part is that the organization, meaning the front office, is not going to pay anywhere near $5 million a year for a manager to come in here to hopefully put this team to the promised land in 2020, which is sad. Because with the Mets, it shouldn't be a thing about money. It should be a thing about winning. 
we shouldn't be watching our pennies to make sure that, oh, we can't give this much to a manager because of XYZ. Nonsense. This team is close. And all I got to say is that the organization better make the right move. If Mickey's gone tomorrow, I'll be sad that he's leaving because he seems like a nice guy. But as far as the manager's concerned, all right, who's the next guy? People going to ask me, who do I want? Crazy enough, it'll never happen. The guy I really want was Wally Backman. But we understand it's an analytic game. It's not old school. Wally's not that type of guy. Well, the other guys, it's obvious. Joe Girardi. I do not want Joe Madden. I don't want him trying to reinvent baseball with his thoughts and his whatever it is that he has going on in his brain. And that's not to knock him, but no. You keep that over there. Joe Girardi's the guy for the job. And I think he would want the job in a heartbeat. He hasn't managed in two years. It's a New York team. It's fully loaded. Jeff Wilpon, Brody Van Wagenen, if Mickey's on his way out, that's the first guy you should call. Forget about somebody's bench coach on the Astros or the Dodgers. Uh-uh. So that's what you have there. So, But is Mickey out? I don't know. I don't think he will be. Should he be? Yes. Will he be? No. All right, now let's turn our attention to the NFL as we had a crazy week four to think. Next week is week five, and it's already a quarter into the season. That's how fast it goes, which is disgusting. But here's what we got as far as my takeaways from this past week. The Buffalo Bills defense is very good because as much as we can look at Tom Brady's stats and how awful he was, but we all know that if he goes up against a staunch defense, that's how Tom Brady's going to perform at the age of 42. If he's going to have time to pick defenses apart as he did in the first three weeks, then he's going to be Tom Brady. But Buffalo Bills and their defense, they're for real. The sad part is Josh Allen was knocked out of the game and their offense is pretty much from hunger. So can they go far with that offense? I don't think so. That's number one. Number two, Tampa actually could be 3-1 and one when you woke up this morning considering what happened yesterday. Now, Jared Goff had an awful game despite the fact he threw for 517 yards. He was a turnover machine. But... The Bucks, forty-five. Excuse me, fifty-five points. Now the Ram defense is nothing like the fearsome foursome back in the sixties, a la Merlin Olson and Deacon Jones. But I tell you, that was just a pathetic performance at home against a Buck team that does have talent, and they do have guys on the offensive side of the ball that could certainly make some plays. Mike Evans, in particular, but for them to pretty much be a no-show. That was very puzzling to think. You know, a team that was 3-0 and against a Buck team that was reeling, especially after that loss to the Giants the week before, and here they are just laying up a, a big, giant, fat egg at the 50-yard line in the L.A. Coliseum. The other surprising game yesterday with the Browns put up 40 points against that defense. Now, we understand it's not the Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs, not your daddy's Raven defense, but 40 points. Not only that, Lamar Jackson, now his numbers, his percentage was great, but threw for low yardage, and that's the one thing I don't trust about Lamar Jackson. Everything is short throws. Everything is safe, which I understand. We all know that his game is going to be predicated on his legs, but this is where the Baltimore offense can be, like they say in baseball, you can pitch to somebody. This is where you could defend this team because as long as you keep them in the pocket and you keep those those throws short, more read and react, then you're going to be fine. And what you saw yesterday, I couldn't believe the Browns put up that many points on them. And then Nick Chubb, 
165 yards on the ground on 20 carries. They, I mean, I tell you, I bet you those Raven defenders that I mentioned in the past, when they looked at those numbers, they probably winced to know that in their building, a guy rushed for 165 yards and three touchdowns on him. Because Raven defense in the past rarely gave up 100-yard rushers, let alone somebody for in the mid-160s and then three TDs to boot. Ah, that was just pathetic. Give the Panthers credit. Two road wins in a row. They win in Houston. Kyle Allen did just enough. Texans try to hail Mary at the end. No good. So good for the Panthers. They started off 0-2, and a lot of people thought that they were going to fade fast with no Cam Newton, but this kid's come in and done pretty well. We also know that the Bear defense is good. Mitch Trubisky was out. You had to chase Daniel in the game. But the Bears are certainly going to wreak havoc with their defense. That's the strength of their team, no doubt about that. Saints behind four field goals beat the Cowboys. Cowboys didn't really muster anything on offense. Raiders winning Indianapolis, where Indianapolis have gotten off to a very good start. Raiders are now 2-2 two and two to think. Now they play the game in London against the Bears, which is a joke, but you know I can't stand those London games. Another big game yesterday, the Lions certainly gave the Chiefs a run for their money. And who knows, the Lions may be a little bit better than we think. Now Mahomes had to execute on a 4th and 8 where he ran for his legs. Everybody was man-to-man downfield and it left the middle of the field open for Mahomes to get a first down there. If not, the Lions would have won that game and would have been undefeated. But now you have three undefeated teams in the NFL. Of course, the aforementioned Pats winning in Buffalo. And then you have the 3-0 Niners who had a bye yesterday. So that's what your... NFL pretty much was yesterday. Are oh, you going to look at the Texans and uh, excuse me, the Titans? What they did against the Falcons? Now the Falcons aren't any good. You would think that Dan Quinn now is probably going to be on the clock there as far as being fired is concerned. Eagles saved their bacon, or I should say, saved their season because they would have been one and three, even though they had the Jets coming in to town this week. But you didn't want to fall one and three in the division with the Cowboys off and running the way they've been. Had a big win at Lambeau. Good for them. And those are pretty much your takeaways from this week. You know, Seahawks beat the Cardinals, big whoop. Jaguars, I listen, I understand Gardner Minshew is the talk of the league with the hair and the mustache and what he's done, sixth-round pick, etc. Broncos, either the Jags, with everything that's swirling around them with Jalen Ramsey and with his back, and then the birth of his daughter and wants to be traded. You have all that nonsense going on, and then to think that they were able to pull out a win in Denver – now, the Broncos could be that bad. You know, they're 0-4. And then you have tonight, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, two teams that are 0-3. And it's interesting, a victory from either one of these teams, and they're in the mix for the division. They'll just be a game back behind both Cleveland and the Ravens, Baltimore, that is, of course, for the top spot in the AFC North. So there's a huge game for both teams. Let's see what Pittsburgh could do. Hopefully Mason Rudolph will be a little bit more comfortable. Maybe they could depend on the running game a little bit. See if that defense could swarm a little bit behind the youth of a one Devin Bush. Minka Fitzpatrick in the second game. Maybe they'll have a lot more responsibility this time around. So we'll see how that shakes down tonight out at Heinz Field. And that was pretty much it as far as the, the games of the week. Now when you look at the week five, and I... 
must apologize to the listener out there. Last week, I didn't include my knockout pick, which was a bad job on my part. And then on Twitter, I do have it on Twitter. So for those who want to research this, I picked the Chargers as my knockout win now. Of course, they won in Miami yesterday. No big whoop. Now, it was in a way because it was 10-10 in the second quarter. So you're thinking, oh, geez, can the Dolphins hang in there and somehow, some way, pull out this game against the Chargers where we all know the Chargers, they could surely be schizophrenic when it comes to these games, but they comfortably cruised to a 30-10 to win. So when you look at the games this week, before I choose who my knockout pick is, your big game is Packers-Cowboys. That's your 425 game. Out of the 1 o'clocks, now Ravens and Steelers aren't going to certainly tickle your fancy like it once did. Cardinals-Bengals, Bills-Titans, Bears-Raiders, Bucks-Saints, maybe Bucks-Saints, Vikings-Giants, Jet-Eagles, Patriots-Redskins, Jaguars-Panthers, Falcons-Texans. I mean, you have some games here that are... uh, You're certainly not going to run to your sets to find out what's going to happen with these games. Your Monday night games, Browns, Niners. Your Sunday night games, Colts, Chiefs. Yeah, a very underwhelming NFL Week 5 for you. But if I had to choose, it's easy to pick New England. They're going against the Redskins. I think they're favored by 14 and a half. Hmm. Choosing this on the fly, people. So I go ahead and pick KC, get it over with. I know I got to be smart, but I also got to be a little. Rams and Seahawks is a Thursday night game, by the way. You know, you got to be a little tactical when it comes to this. Bears, Raiders. Games in London. I would say the Bears. Ugh. Chase Daniel, too. No, I'd stay away from that. Eagles. All right. Let me just cut right to it. My knockout pick this week Philadelphia. Sorry, Jet fans. And Jets could win that game. I mean, why not? But I'm going to pick Philadelphia. I'm saving New England. I'm saving Kansas City. That's all there's to it. So there's your knockout pick for week number five. And also, I'd be remiss. I got to forgive me on this, people, as I go back to this. My MLB over-unders, I was 3-3. Three and three. Very pedestrian very uh, below average even though it's right in the middle but it was terrible just to go over that I had Cubs 89 and a half as an over Washington 88 and a half as an over and they won that the LA Angels 83 and a half as an under Minnesota 84 as an over and then I had San Francisco and Arizona as under 73 and 77 respectively and they both lost so that was my overs there over unders for MLB so for those who cared about that and Melvin Gordon, who did not play this past week, but certainly a big part of that Charger offense, has reported you would think he's going to play this week against the Broncos, if not probably the following week. So let's see if the Chargers, once he's back on the team and getting some steady reps, let's see if he could propel them to big heights there in the AFC, as a lot of people think that they can, considering what they did last year. So that's something to look forward to, especially if you're an L.A. Charger fan. Uh, and that's pretty much it in the NFL. Uh, just those games, uh, Rams, the, the big takeaways were the Rams, a stinker there against the Bucks, the Ravens and what they did. I give credit, of course, to Tampa and a good credit to Cleveland for putting up the numbers that they did. But just very surprising on those two fronts. Lions hanging in against the Chiefs, which was big. And then the Bills defense 
certainly showing up against the Patriots, but of course their offense was somewhere on the bus or in the hotel or in their homes because after Josh Allen left with a concussion, which was a rough hit that was uh, taken there. I was thinking it was J.C. Jackson. It wasn't. It was, uh, I believe, the cornerback Jones. He was the one with the hit. But uh, the Bills certainly uh, put up a good fight against the Pats, but uh, to no avail as they ended up losing their first game of the season to the Super Bowl champs. As for college football, a couple of quickies. One, the Clemson Tigers lose their number one perch in the country to Alabama as they leapfrog over them, considering that Clemson had a nail-biter against the North Carolina Tar Heels, where North Carolina actually went for two at the end of the game to try to get the victory. Of course, they fell up short. I know a lot of people are going to look at that and say, oh, why couldn't they just go for the tie? Listen, if somehow, some way Carolina would have converted on that two-point play, that would have just sent shockwaves throughout college football. Now, Clemson still would have been up there as far as one of the top four teams, or even if they went down to as far as five, you would think that you're going to see them at the very end of this college football season with the playoff as far as that's concerned. But give it up for Carolina for trying to win the game there. That would have been a huge story, not only just in college football, but just throughout sports because everybody knows it's either going to be Clemson or Bama, everybody would think. That's going to be the final two meeting up for the fourth time in five years when it comes to a national championships concern. So that was the main thing you had from the weekend. And the other thing is, this is more of a college sports story as I'm just getting wind of this. California, there, as I'm pulling this up here, California is now going to go ahead, get ready for this people. They're going to go ahead and start paying players. Now, this is just college for California's concern. So, who knows what this is going to mean throughout the rest of the nation, other states, etc. Well, I'm going to read this here to you real quick. The NCAA and the business model, or their identity, I should say, it's going to be illegal in the state of California starting in 2023 to not play, play payers who are on the collegiate levels when it comes to sports concern. And it says, Governor Gavin Newsom has signed into a law the Fair Pay to Play Act, which says colleges in California cannot punish their athletes for collecting endorsement money. The signing was hosted Monday morning by NBA superstar LeBron James and his multimedia platform, The Uninterrupted. James had a tweet, said it'll change the lives of countless athletes who deserve it, etc., So now you have California jumping into the fray. Who's next? Now, it's not going to happen for another four years. So if you're a college basketball player, college football, what does that mean also? Does that mean, I guess, lacrosse, tennis, golf? Now, of course, those sports aren't going to get a lot of the publicity that basketball and football will. College baseball, another one I throw in there. But now you're going to see a trickle-down effect, or you would think you're going to see a trickle-down effect on this landmark case where now California is going to start paying their athletes in 2023. So I'm just getting wind of this right now. And how you got to look at this, this could be, I'm not going to say beginning of the end, but there's going to be a lot of other states out there, especially when it comes to football, whether it's from the South, Basketball in the Midwest, any of those sports that are certainly heavily recruited 
when it comes to getting players to their universities, this right here is a landmark case. And what this means moving forward remains to be seen, but you would think that other states are going to jump into the mix and how that's going to affect recruiting, how that's going to affect everything. Certainly one to look out for here here in the weeks and months to come. All right, I'll turn my attention out to the NHL as the season, as I mentioned at the top, is just two days away. And just a couple of storylines going into the season. The Tampa Bay Lightning, the team that had the best record, the most points, President Trophy, etc., that rivaled the 96 Red Wings, 128 points, 60-some-odd wins, etc. What are they going to do for an encore? Well, certainly not in the postseason because it got swept out of the postseason, if you recall, last year. But what that means for Coach John Cooper, what that means for their organization, their MVP, etc., is going to be interesting to follow throughout, especially the early part of the year. If they start to go on that, I don't think they're going to come anywhere near that pace, but if they start to dominate and pretty much be the beast of the East, then everybody's going to look to that first series, whomever they match up next spring, because as unforgiving as that is, I don't care if you're in Tampa if you're, or if you're in a hotbed like New York, Boston, etc. But for that to happen you got to see what they're going to follow up with next year because that's what it's about, how this team responds, how this team is able to have just a dominant regular season and then just go out like a lamb in the postseason. So that's something to watch out for. The Bruins, their core is still intact. Even Zdeno Chara, who I thought would maybe hang it up at 42 years old, will be 43 when the playoffs roll around. But their core is a winning core. We know the... Usual suspects are Patrice Bergeron's, the David Krejci's, Brad Marchand, the goalie, of course, Tuka Rask. But will all the playoff minutes and the mileage on their legs, is it going to help them or hurt them? Florida hires Joel Quenville. I know people say, Florida Panthers, Jay Reels, who cares? Well, that guy is a coach who has won three Stanley Cups. Mind you, with the Blackhawks, when they're Main core was a Jonathan Taze and a Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, etc. But what he could do down there to revitalize that, let's face it, a franchise that only 1996, 23 years ago, was their moment in the sun. No pun intended, considering they're in Florida. But that's also a storyline to watch when you have a guy that has that pedigree and has the second most wins as a coach in NHL history, how he's going to fare with a franchise that uh, certainly doesn't know anything about winning. And the continuing saga up north with Toronto, how are they going to put it together to finally break that curse of, what is it, 53 years without a cup? And then the other thing I look at too, when you look at the league's best player, and when the torch being passed, we all know Sidney Crosby, even Alexander Ovechkin, who has one more year after this, and he's 34 years old. But the guy right now in the NHL is Connor McDavid. And people are going to say, Connor McDavid, if you don't follow hockey, of course, you wouldn't know who this guy is if he walked through the airport wearing an Edmonton Oilers jersey. But here's a guy that is going to be the face of the league. We get he plays in a town that nobody's ever heard of, especially if you're a casual sports fan. We also understand that their team is not successful because even if the Edmonton Oilers were successful, at least people would recognize and know who they are. Let's go back to the Gretzky years 
35 years ago. But here's a guy that the NHL, I would, I'm going to say they need because the aforementioned guys who have won cups before, not to say that their days are numbered, but they're coming closer to the end than they are to the beginning. And with McDavid, you're here more at the beginning. So if you're the Oilers and they're trying to put a good team around them, Dave Tippett, who was from many years ago, that former Hartford Whaler who certainly had a very good NHL career, who now replaces the Tom McClellans and the Ken Hitchcocks of the world, what he's going to be able to do to kind of get that franchise back on the beam. Now, of course, they're a far cry from those Oiler days of the 80s. I mean, he had nine Hall of Famers on the team, but McDavid is a guy that the league is going to look to promote, that's going to look to take the torch from the Sidney Crosbys and the Alexander Ovechkins to have the casual fan recognize that this is going to be the next great player in this league. Now, what's going to happen? Well, who knows? But I think that's an interesting storyline from the standpoint of the sports fan who does not know who this player is, they should get to know who he is and try to watch as much as they can considering they play their games in the Pacific Northwest. But what they're going to do, although it remains to be seen, but if they do happen to come on the scene and burst onto the scene and play well and maybe make it to the postseason now, and there's four years in the league, they only made it to the postseason once and they lost a game seven in Anaheim. So interesting to see how that may shake down. As far as the locals are concerned, in a nutshell, real quick, the Devils did whatever they could to try to get Taylor Hall, who's going to be a free agent. Of course, he won the MVP two years ago, and he says he wants to play on a contender. And the Devils did all that and then some to try to do what they can to get themselves as formidable as possible to make a run here at a cup, whether it's bringing in P.K. Subban from Nashville, whether it was getting the number one pick in Jack Hughes. Now, of course, that's still... Years in the making, but to have a chip like that, blue chip prospect, that certainly is going to help matters as far as the organization is is concerned. You bring in a tough winger, a guy who played in Philly pretty much his whole career, Wayne Simmons. So that's a guy that's going to bring stability and toughness to your team. And who knows if that's going to be enough. Now the Devils are going to be much better than they were last year. I mean, please, they had the number one pick for a reason. So... Devils should be better. The Rangers are going to be a lot better for everything that they did in the last couple of years. Pairing off players, bringing picks back. They had a second overall pick this year. And you would think he'll be part of the mix at some point. They bring in Panarin from Columbus, who's a goal scorer, a guy 27 years old, who certainly has a bright future ahead. And the Rangers, we all know goaltending, that's going to be the key because Henrik Lundqvist, Certainly getting closer to the twilight of his career, how he's going to fare over the course of this year. This is pretty much you would think. I believe this is his last year on his contract, if I'm not mistaken. So this could be a swan song for him. But the Rangers are going to be improved, and a lot of people think next year is going to be the year where they're going to take a big leap and bound. This year is kind of preparation. This is almost a house money year. If they happen to make the playoffs and have a good regular season and maybe have a little bit of a run, they're going to be ahead of schedule. And as far as the Islanders are concerned, now, we know the situation with Robin Leonard. That was controversial in its own right as to them having a two-year contract, but then Chicago swooped in and put a one-year, $5 million offer on the table. And Leonard, who had an excellent year for the Islanders, is now playing in the, mid- in the Windy City. 
So the Islanders, what they did is they bring in Varmilov, who was a guy who played on the Capitals a few years ago, put in with Thomas Grice. Hopefully they can have a successful year. Are they going to have a 100-point season like they had last year? They're going to be well defended, but this team still needs goal scoring. As you saw last year in that playoff series against Carolina, they weren't able to muster up any opportunities. We understand that they have the Matthew Barzals of the world, the Jordan Eberle's, Andrews Lee comes back for the long-term deal. They have guys that can put the puck in the net, but they don't really have that sniper. They don't have the Mike Bossy. They don't have the Pat LaFontaine. They don't have the Pierre Turgeon. They don't have guys like that. They have guys that can score goals, but they don't have guys that can score goals in a sleep. The Brock Nelsons of the world, they just don't. They don't have a high-flying, freewheeling offense, and especially in this day and age, the way the league is, as much as they may have that talent on those first couple of lines, but they certainly don't have that home run hitter, so to speak. So who knows what that means for the Islanders. If I had to say in a nutshell for those three teams, I think the Rangers are going to definitely play a lot better and take a leap this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up getting a wild card. Islanders, you would think they're going to compete for a division, but they're going to be tooth and nail, I think, because of the aforementioned lack of goal scoring or lack of sniper, I should say. And the Devils, you would think they're going to be in the mix also. I could see all three teams making the postseason. You know, Pittsburgh isn't really much a storyline to me. I know Phil Kessel was traded to Arizona and they bring back a young kid in the uh, Galchenyuk. But Pittsburgh, I think their best days are behind them. That's not to say that Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and company, don't, you know, they don't have another long run ahead of them, but still. Winning those two cups in back-to-back years, and look, they got swept out of the postseason last year, the Islanders. And that's not to say, you know, I don't want to make light of the Islanders, you know, not being a team that they, is a slouch of a team, but at the same time, that, that came to me as a surprise. And maybe it came to all the Pittsburgh as a surprise, and who knows? Maybe this run is starting to come, this window is starting to come to an end. It's starting to close here. But we'll wait and see on that. As far as my Stanley Cup prediction is concerned, a lot of talk about Vegas making a bounce back. And remember, they got screwed out of that uh, Game 7, that call with Joe Pavelski, that high stick, in which they tied the game and then won in the overtime. I'm going to say Vegas. I don't want, as much as I want to say the Lightning and they could bounce back, but uh uh-uh. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say Vegas and the Boston Bruins. I think the Bruins are going to go back. I think this core of the Bruins, they were that close last year. They, please, they had a game seven in their building to win the championship, and they didn't. And the East is going to be that much more tough. It's going to be that much more formidable. But the Bruins, they have the pedigree. We could say that for the Penguins too, but I think the Penguins, like I said, their best days are behind them. With the Bruins right now, they have it in front of them. And it's going to be some stiff competition, but I'm picking Vegas and Boston as my cup final. I'm going to pick the Bruins in six. And lastly, with the NBA, Kyrie Irving and his comments. Now, media day was the other day, so everybody was introduced. Kevin Durant. Can't expect him to come back. He said that he's feeling good, he's feeling strong, but he just wants to get stronger. He hasn't put a timetable on it. No pressure, etc. But for Kyrie Irving to come out, and I don't know what the question was or what was posed to him when he brought up his Celtic teammates. He just said that he wasn't in the right frame frame of mind, wasn't in that mindset because of his grandfather's death. 
that took place in late October. So therefore, basketball wasn't the first thing on his mind. Not only was he trying to get his mind right, but to him it was more about his family, more about his mental mind state or his well-being. He said he didn't go to any therapy or any counseling for that after the fact, so he became a little alienated with his teammates. And therefore, that's what he said. He quoted himself as saying that they failed and that he failed in that regard. Listen, whatever you're going through personally, we understand that. And how he dealt with it, was it the best? Absolutely not. And you know what? Sorry to hear about that about his grandfather. Obviously, I didn't know about that till I heard about it the other day. But if there is one thing that I disagree with him is when he came out and said that his relationships with his teammates personally were great. Why don't you ask Jalen Brown that? Or even more so, ask Terry Rozier that. In fact, I can only imagine that first Charlotte-Brooklyn game. Now listen, Terry Rozier, he's going to put up a lot of points. He's going to be probably one of the guys, if not the guy down there. But he's going to put up a ton of points on a bad team. So as much as he may get off to a great start, and as much as he may be early talks of being an all-star, you also got to remember that team is going nowhere fast. But with Rozier... And Jalen Brown, they certainly weren't the biggest fans of a one Kyrie Irving. And that had been well documented. If you read a lot of the articles going back to last year, pretty much a lot of no comments. Rozier, I know, was a little bit, for lack of a better word, maybe jealous because he felt as if what he did in the postseason there when Kyrie Irving was out, and even though he knew that this was Kyrie's team, but he didn't get a lot of burn. So, of course, I'm sure there was a little bit of side-eye on his part towards Kyrie. And he's got a new slate here in Brooklyn. All I got to say to that, and you would think he's going to have a successful year, even without Kevin Durant, and there's still plenty of time between now and the start of the season to get into more about Brooklyn and the Knicks and all that. But I will say this. The way he performed down the stretch in that Celtic season last year, forget about relationships aside, and we understand his head wasn't in the game for all the personal issues that I mentioned. But he was just god-awful. And God forbid, if he were to do that here in New York, he will be slaughtered 20 times over. And that's not to say they didn't do so in Boston, because we all know Boston is a hotbed when it comes to their sports. But as pathetic as he was down the stretch, especially in that series against Milwaukee, where he just shot atrociously. If whatever he got away with in Boston, that's certainly not going to fly here. Obviously, he has a guy in Kevin Durant, which he's going to turn to and lean on, and hopefully will make himself accountable, you would think. But with the media here, and the intensity, and not only that, but the expectations, it's going to be the same frying pan, but it's a different fire. And what I mean by that is that the fans, the media up in Boston, are just as serious and intense as they are down here, but the scope, the specter, the magnitude is going to be ratcheted up that much more, because the Knicks aren't expected to do anything this year. Where Brooklyn, even without Kevin Durant, they are. And leading that, it's going to be Kyrie Irving. So, whatever he did in Boston is a thing of the past. And I disagree with him on the relationship aspect of it with his teammates because, to me, that's false. But that's not going to fly here in New York if he happens to somehow, someway have a bad day, a bad month, a bad whatever it is. And he's going to attribute it to whatever is going on personally, him not forging those good relationships with his teammates. So far, so good. Honeymoon stage, we get that. But it's something you certainly got to keep in your back pocket if you're a Net fan or someone who follows the NBA like I do. So stay tuned. 
All right, now to wrap up with the hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week is Marty Brenneman, the longtime Cincinnati Reds announcer, 45 years. And a lot of people know he has a son, Tom Brenneman, who's a very good announcer in his own right. But Marty Brenneman hanging up his microphone with the Reds all those years, retiring, going out on a high note. Now, of course, the Reds did not have a good year. Did win against the Pirates in the final game. But uh, kudos to him and having a very successful long career for him. So that's my hero of the week. And my zero of the week is Vontez Perfect. Now, in the game yesterday, he took a shot at the Colt tight end, not Eric Ebron, but the backup. And just led with his helmet, body flying. And with all the suspensions and fines that he's accumulated over the years, well, it came to a head today where he's suspended for the rest of the year. And Vontez Burford, we understand he plays reckless. He plays a certain style. He certainly wasn't going to compromise that, and we get that. But at the same time, you know that he's starting off with a new team. You figure that he wasn't going to make himself out to be a human torpedo just to take a shot at this guy, which he did. And therefore, now he's pretty much uh, on an early vacation, and you're not going to see him for the rest of this year. So bad job by him, and he clearly is my zero of the week. So uh, I hope you enjoy your early vacation, my guy, and uh, we will no longer see him for the rest of 2019. So that will cover it for this week on the J-Reels Podcast. Hope you enjoyed that. And if you did, not only do I hope you come back for many, many more in the weeks and months to come, but for those who have not done so, I would really, truly appreciate it if you would go ahead and subscribe on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary, iHeartRadio, whatever it may be, because all that's going to do, and not only subscribing, but also leaving a review, posting a rating on the podcast itself, is going to increase the visibility for all the other podcasts that are out there, and everybody knows there's a ton of them, not only just sports, but all around. And all I'm trying to do is just trying to get the name out, do as best as I can. But with your help and your participation, all that's going to do is generate interest with possible guests down the road, whether it be former current athletes, sports writers, bloggers, broadcasters, whatever it may be. So if you could go ahead and do that, even take screenshots of it on Instagram, whatever it may be, Facebook, any participation, any type of advertising of the program, again, I truly appreciate it. And you could contact me on any of my social media platforms, whether it be on Instagram at J Reels, Facebook, the J Reels podcast at uh, my fan page, and also Twitter, J Reels one, just a number. You could also shoot me an email at the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. So any of those platforms, reach out to me with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be. I would just open to any of it. So do so. Also, if you want to contribute to the podcast, you could go to my Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N at www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. As you'll see on that page, it uh, just talks about what it is that I need to do to keep this podcast up and running, not only just from a an equipment standpoint, but also advertising. Anything that you could contribute would be appreciated beyond belief. So if you could go ahead and do that, I would implore you to do so, and as well as subscribe, as I mentioned earlier. Because what I like to do, people, is to inform, to educate, to entertain, whatever it may be for those who love sports, whether it's on the diamond, on the ice, on the gridiron, on the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J-Rose Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. 
from the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.